Welcome to Hiraith, the home of modern Welsh politics. Last week, after a heated debate, the Senate voted to approve the recommendations of the report of the Special Purpose Committee on Senate Reform. But what exactly are those recommendations, and will all of them actually happen? Joining me to discuss this is Jess Blair, Director of the Electoral Reform Society. Come in. Hi, Jess. Hello, Matt. How are you? Very well. Thank you very much for coming on. Uh, before we start, congratulations. As those who eagerly watch all Welsh Government press releases will know, uh, you've just been appointed to the expert panel of the Independent Commission on the Constitutional Future of Wales. Congratulations, Jess. Thank you so much. I think it's the first time experts ever been anywhere near my name. Um, <laughs> but I'm sure it's going to be a really interesting process and uh, really looking forward to working on it. Great. Well, let's let's talk about the report then. Would you be able to outline some of the recommendations of the report and tell us a little bit about how we've got here? Oh, where to start? It's been a long journey, hasn't it? Yeah, so the Special Purpose Committee on Senate Reform, not to be confused with any of the previous committees on Senate Reform, has recommended an increase in the size of the Senate to 96 members. They will be elected by a closed list proportional system using the Hunt method, which is as um, sexy as it sounds, uh, and there will be integrated gender quotas. There's also going to be a new way that elections are working Wales in terms of boundaries. So we're looking at moving to 16 constituencies with six members in each. I think that's a, a very quick overview, um, but I'm sure we'll get into the detail. Let's take each aspect of that in turn. I, you know, I think that the arguments about whether they said I needed more members or not has been done to death. We won't need to do that. But the, the fact that 96 96 members was arrived at. Do you think that's the right number? Some would say that an increase of sort of 10 to 15 would have been understandable, but an increase of this amount is uh, only justified if, if there was something significant being devolved to the Senate. What's your view on that? Well, I think my view on it is if you're going to do this, let's do it properly and let's do it once. Ultimately, we've been calling for the Senate to be increased in size since it was the National Assembly. I think the first report that came out recommending an increase was the Ritchie Commission back in 2004. So this has been something that is a long time coming. And I think 96 is right and it is in line with other institutions. If you look at parliaments and kind of legislatures across Europe, across the world even, this is about right. It is in line if slightly small, but I think we should welcome the fact it's moved to 96, like that's an appropriate size, you know, when you consider Northern Ireland has 90 MLAs, uh, the Scottish Parliament has 129 MSPs, it is right that Wales now will have a Parliament that has the capacity to scrutinise 17 billion worth, 17 billion pounds worth of government spending every year, that will scrutinise legislation that will change people's lives, hopefully, you know, if we're going to have a parliament, let's equip it properly and let's make it work effectively. One of the criticisms of these proposals was the fact that the, the constituencies that have been proposed to be used, sort of the Senate using Westminster proposed constituencies that may never actually be used, but obviously they are going to have an internal boundary review within the next Senate term. Do you think this is the right system to use? Do you think that that's just some sort of weird foible of the whole negotiating process or... Do you think yeah. there could have been a better, a better way of drawing up these boundaries? I think there's a little bit of kind of real politic with this committee report because it does reflect a deal that was made between Welsh Labour and Plaid Cymru as part of the cooperation agreement. And I think we've got to be realistic that I think it's fair to say that no parties internationally that have ever you know, sat in government will easily go to systems that they potentially might give up power on that basis of. So I think there's always got to be a little bit of recognition that this is a political deal, mm. uh, but it is one that I think in the round will further 
Wales and it will further our parliament. Um, so I think ERS quite fairly has some criticism of the uh, proportional list system that's been proposed, the closed list element of that, um, and the fact that it restricts choice for voters. Um, and also we probably wouldn't have gone down this route on boundaries either, although we don't have a set um, view, I think, there has been a lot of conversation about things like um, uh, local authorities boundaries and that's what the expert panel recommended and I think with, with, with good reason. But 16 is quite close to the 17 that the expert panel um, actually proposed. I think the test is really going to be the 2026 elections when we'll see how they work in practice. There was a lot of debate around this last week in the Senate and some people rightly pointed out that these 16 are actually at least based on on constituencies that the Boundary Commission have actually looked into and have uh, assessed a, a, along a kind of range of principles. So there is that argument for them. So a little bit of probably a mixed answer hedging my bets. It's not necessarily what I would have gone for, um, but I think the proof will be in the pudding and hopefully the 2026 election um, will be able to see how they work. I am a little bit concerned with the fact that the boundary review is going to take place before that election. So we might not necessarily get to learn any lessons afterwards, but hopefully there will be an opportunity after that election to kind of correct anything, including around the electoral system that we think might not actually suit the way that a set of elections should work. And there's lots of people very hopeful that the electoral system may change, but we'll, we'll get on to electoral systems now. So many different systems have been talked about in, in, in the long history of this process, sort of STV, Sant Lager. But why do you think that these particular suggestions were rejected? Um, it's a funny one, isn't it? So the uh, single transferable vote is the system that we at ERS would always support. I think it's a, it's a really good system that would really um, work well with the Senate elections. Uh, it's also been something that the expert panel and the previous Senate committee on that special, no, Senate committee on Senate reform. God, I, I, even I get confused. The with Dawn the Bowden one. <laughs> yeah. The other one. The Dawn yeah. Bowden one. Yeah. They also echoed that recommendation. But I think it's been a real battle within the parties, uh, to be honest with you, about what this system could actually be. And I, I kind of see it that within parties, there's a spectrum, right? And you've got people advocating for loads of different systems and they've got kind of reservations about others. So on one side, you might get people proposing first past the post, which we know would never have been part of this deal anyway, because the, the kind of basis of it was something that was at least as proportional as the current system. But there will have been people arguing within parties for that system. On the other side, you would have had people arguing for STV. I think what we've ended up with is a reflection of the way political parties work and the way political leadership works. And it's something that is in the middle. It um, moves to multi-member constituencies, it rejects first past the post, but it doesn't necessarily deliver um, choice for voters. So we've ended up with a little bit of a middleman in terms of the electoral system. I do think it lays the groundwork for potentially an improvement further down the line. You know, I, I don't want to have to revisit Senate reform uh, for a long time yet, but maybe we can learn from moving to multi-member systems that actually this is a good way to go. And maybe we can move from closed list to flexible lists and then maybe a bit more open. I'm still kind of optimistic that there is a lot of support for flexible lists within the Senate. And that isn't STV, but that could deliver something better than the closed lists that have been proposed. Our main concerns with those closed lists are that they restrict voter choice. So when you get a ballot paper, you have no decision on who your actual elected representative is you just have that party and their list that they have proposed so I think that that really is 
the big challenge it is a reflection of of that real politic like i said but it's one that i think is sitting a little bit uncomfortably at the moment with a lot of politicians we'll, we'll definitely get into that um in a moment but the so you've i think you've very adequately you know very very expertly explained why we've ended up the real politic of why we end up in this situation but do you think that this is a good electoral system and do you think that it is a more proportionate one than we currently have it's really hard to say whether something's going to be more proportional because we cannot model because we've never used those boundaries that's yeah. actually going to be used before one of the things that uh affects how proportionate a voting system is going to be is the way that votes are allocated and at present the deal and the uh, senate special purpose committee are proposing the de method so we would kind of say that actually that is a method that might deliver better results for larger parties and it might threaten the proportionality of closed lists so I would hope that over the next year as government lawyers are kind of drafting this they are looking to ensure that this is a deal that gives us a more proportional system I think at least as proportional is is a baseline that politicians have been working with we should always be kind of striving to do better Right. We should always be striving to deliver people a better system because that's what this is about. It's about people getting to the ballot box and actually having their vote reflected back at them and having elected representatives. You know, they've got six of them. Hopefully there's one or two of them that they could actually um, engage with and feel like actually reflect their views. So I think that is one element that that really needs looking at potentially. But the proof's going to be in the pudding of how the election actually works. And there's always going to be things that we don't know until that actually happens. Are there any other concerns you have about the system? I mean, one of the things that's been levelled at it is that it will provide too much power to the political parties uh, over the voter. Do you think that's something that is, is accurate? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think the reality is that most people aren't members of a political party and a lot of what's going to be decided on election day at the ballot box is actually going to be a little bit of a foregone conclusion because parties and party members will have had their say in how exactly those lists are going to be ordered um, and that's that's really why we have many reservations about the closed list proportional system that, that's being proposed I would take that I think with a little bit of a a health warning because we do actually you know support multi-member constituencies we support the fact that it's rejected first past the post it's almost like it's just nearly there it's just close but no cigar so if you just move to a system where you have those list systems but voters have choice you're suddenly in a much better arena and I, I do think that that's where there's room for improvement but also realistic room for improvement here we're not asking for much more we're asking for a bit of flexibility and uh, flexible lists where voters can choose to vote for either a party as the um, party list has been chosen or they can vote for an individual member and that's something that we really hope politicians you know take take under advisement over the next year as um, lawyers start drafting this legislation. I mean one of the things that I read was that, that there was a rejection of STV because Welsh voters aren't used to that electoral system but they are of course at local government level used to picking between candidates of different parties, of course, aren't they? So this this does feel a little bit like Labour don't want to give people as much choice and the ability to differentiate between, you know, maybe mix and match their candidates. They want to be able to make people vote Labour if they want a Labour representing, representative. I can't get my words out today, but that's what I was trying to get the point across. 
all of the words I use in politics are actually really hard. I can't say <laughs> don't get me started on participative budgeting because I have to say it really slowly. I've, on STV, there is a lot of evidence from other nations that are really close to home that voters can use it really well and really expertly. You know, it only took um, between the 2007 and 2011 local elections in Scotland for voters to start extending the number of choices they make when they're actually ranking voters. Voters adapted to STB really quickly and when they moved from first past the post up in Scotland. So there's no reason why Welsh voters would be any different. There's also, I think, the prospect of local uh, authorities moving to STB in the next five years. I think it is, you know, it's never going to be that all 22 local authorities are actually going to do it, but we might see one or two leading the way in the next few years. And we might then have a case study of voters using STV really proficiently when there's actually a patchwork of electoral systems across Wales. So I do worry that that um, particular reasoning in the report won't, won't bear out uh, out as um, time goes on. So this system, I think, you know, I know we, we can't say for certain until we see how people vote, but it does feel very beneficial to the Labour Party. Why do you think Plaid Cymru was so in favour of this? Do you think it was just a, a trade-off for the numbers that they then eventually got? The big selling point um, for Plaid Cymru around the closed list PR system has, the way that they've explained it anyway, been the ability to integrate gender quotas and use zipping. Um, I think Plaid Cymru, if I'm being really honest, have been really concerned about if you're going to use gender quotas, how do we make sure that they're effective? And I, I really feel that this compromise has been made a little bit easier for them because of this selling point around integrating gender quotas via zipping. It's going to be interesting to see how that pans out as well. I'm sure we'll get on to the discussion around gender quotas, but I, I do think that that's the um, the compromising element here for Plaid Cymru. Let's let's deal with that now. So, like you raised, one of the things that the Welsh Conservatives raised in the Senate and have done uh, previously also is raise concerns about the fact that the, the Senate may not have the power uh, to to introduce gender quotas, not having power sufficient powers over over gender equality do you think that that is actually the case and the senate may struggle to do this i think it's very likely that these quotas that aspect of the the bill may end up in court anyway do you think that this could theoretically see that two separate bills introduced or some sort of workaround like that so um, at ERS, we worked with our friends at the Women's Equality Network Wales, I think back in like January, February, and actually commissioned a lawyer with a lot of constitutional expertise who's worked on Supreme Court cases uh, to give their legal advice on this. And we went into it like, we just want some legal advice. Like, where does, where does Wales stand in terms of its powers to legislate on quotas? Um, you know, we didn't kind of precursor it saying we want to hear yes we wanted to hear how does it actually work and they came back um saying yeah it should be within competency we can't really see any issues um it can quite easily tie into electoral systems which are devolved on the basis of uh, elections and then if it doesn't you know there are exceptions to reservations around equality act around the equality act it is within the spirit of the equality act so i think there is a really good case to be made that this is within competency however that isn't to say that a uk government might object to the fact that wales is legislating around this um and threaten or indeed take welsh government to court or, or take this bill uh, to the supreme court um so i think there's a lot of political 
discussions that need to take place to ensure that that doesn't happen you know just because it is within competency doesn't stop it necessarily getting hold held up in court um so i think there's conversations that need to be had between welsh government and the secretary of state for wales to really um ensure that this this does go through as planned. I really do believe that it is devolved and within competency. You know, why should the Senate not be able to make legislation on their electoral arrangements? That is entirely devolved. Um, so I think fun and games ahead, um, but I'm sure it'll win out in the day. I do have massive concerns around separating out um, the quotas element into a separate bill. I, I think that probably does undermine um, the competency case a little bit but we'll um, defer to the experts in Welsh Government uh, to see which is the best way to get this through. To the electoral system, I think, just for a second, one of the parties in Wales that is most in favour of, of Senate reform, historically, has been the Liberal Democrats, but they are not in favour of, of these reforms. How do smaller parties like the Liberal Democrats and, and independents, how will they fare under this system? Is it? Uh, do you think, obviously, we, we can't tell for certain? It's really tricky. Um, I, I do really feel for the, the Lib Dems in particular who have backed a lot of reforms for a long time and are making these cases not on the basis of how their electoral positions might fare out, but on the basis of, you know, actually smaller parties should be represented in the Senate because a lot of people vote for them. Um, so I think that that is a real downside and it's probably a reflection of the Dehont system as much as it is um, the closed list system. It's the Dehont system that's really going to um, potentially hurt them. But I, 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 I don't think that means that there's kind of no hope for their representation in the future. Um, we've just seen uh, a slate of local government elections where they've actually done reasonably well. Um, hopefully this system will be proportional enough that they will pick up seats under a proportionalist system if they do well um and that's all proportionality can guarantee you is that if you get some votes you should get seats so that's that's what we'd like to see one of the major issues that was raised during the last senate was the question of people passing from party to party sometimes numerous times without the need for a by-election when they were elected on the regional list this system does nothing to remedy that problem does it no, and that's one of the kind of big cases that people have been making against um, the AMS system. Um, I think that was ruled out really quickly, actually, from these discussions, because parties have just not been happy with that system for over 20 years now. Um, so it does confuse me a little bit that the closed list, closed list system that we are going with is a little bit of um, the worst of that world, uh, in a way, um, from a politicians point of view because a lot of politicians have really not enjoyed that kind of top-up list element of that um, and it's definitely one of the main problems with closed lists is that people are going to be electing parties not politicians so there are massive questions and the um, special purpose committee report tried to address this over what happens if a politician were to switch party what happens around um, like personal performance, personal accountability. If a politician gets elected and does not perform well, but does well again on party lists next time, they could still come top of the list. Um, and that's why voter choice is really important. And that's why it's a shame that it's missing from this closed list system. One of the other interesting developments from these proposals are the Conservatives calling for a referendum on these changes. What's your assessment of, of that call? I don't want to be too political, but I do worry about 
a knee-jerk reaction of any time a political party doesn't like where something's going, they just call for a referendum on it. Um, I've also heard this conversation being had around the kind of devolution of policing and justice. It's the, oh, there should be a referendum on that. And it does feel like that's a kind of really easy answer um, to a really complicated question that we'll never actually get to the bottom of because you can see very easily from 2016 how referendum how referenda can be turned into really divisive conversations that actually don't actually reflect the um, topic actually up for discussion. And it would be really easy to for that to happen around Senate reform, you know, the case for more politicians. Um, so, so I think it's very much a political kind of decision that they're making to call for referendum rather than actual belief that this should be something that there's a referendum um, required on. You know, we see the UK government repeatedly uh, making moves to change democracy in England and across the UK. We've just seen the Elections Act passed. We've seen voter ID. We are seeing um, the UK government moving the electoral system for police and crime commissioners and for directly elected mayors from the supplementary vote to first past the post. We can see the prime minister appointing um, many more House of peers of the House of Lords in a year than we're seeing actually being added to the Senate. Why should there be a kind of double standard? Why should Wales not have these powers when a UK government and a prime minister can just totally unilaterally do what it wants. Like, why are we being held to a higher standard here? I mean, this does seem a bit strange, doesn't it? Because most of the polling in this area recently has shown that the public do seem to be in favour of more members of the Senate. Yeah, it, it depends how the question's asked. But what we are consistently seeing is when you say, do you want more politicians? People are obviously going to say no. When you say, do you want more members of the Senate to... Um, to address massive issues around capacity and deliver a stronger parliament for Wales, people are like, yeah, all right then. Like, it's not, it's not, um, it's not the case of politicians for more politicians' sake. It's about correcting a deficit and giving Wales the parliament that it needs. Um, and I just really worry that moving to calls around a referendum is completely missing the fact that this is about just strengthening our parliament. It's just, it's one thing that we're going to do that's going to be in place for a long, long time, and we're going to have a parliament that properly works for Wales off the back of it. The, the recommendations of the report try and introduce a set of proposals in time for 2026, but they also start to review them straight away as part of this two-stage process. Do you think that's a sensible approach? I mean, you've alluded to your, your thoughts a little bit earlier, but you know, we want to try and make the most of this window of opportunity and, and potentially improve upon the, the, the recommendations just yeah. Think, how do you think it should work in practice? Yeah, I mean, we've been careful not to put a timescale on it because actually, you know, changes to democracy need a bit of time to embed. Like it takes a little bit of time for changes to settle in, for um, people to be clear about how they've worked. But we do think that as part of the legislation, there should be a commitment to um, review the effectiveness of the changes, particularly around the electoral system and particularly around the gender quotas. There's a real risk that... You know, this is this is untapped ground. Like we haven't tried this before. Are the is the zipping going to work? Are we going to get 50-50 gender balance in the Senate off the back of it? And what happens if we don't? If there's not a review? Um, so embedding some kind of process to ensure that these changes kind of deliver um, deliver what they're meant to, and also kind of deliver on the principles of the expert panel because we shouldn't forget that that's a massive comprehensive piece of work that should be underpinning all of this. 
Will there be a question after the next election of whether the closed list system has delivered those principles? Will there be a question of whether the gender quotas have delivered 50-50? If there isn't, we might um, we might be kind of stuck um, without a paddle. In order for this to, to, to happen by 2026, what could and should we see put in place before we get to this election? What what do you, what would you want to see the Welsh government do in order to inform people of these of these changes and also in 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 terms of how you can educate the broader population about about the way that their electoral system is is changing? Because unfortunately, we get a few weeks of that before a Senate election okay. usually, but not a huge amount else. Yeah, and I think it's really important that these changes are communicated. I mean, we're going to have oh my god it's stressing me out thinking about it but we're going to have lots of different electoral systems for lots of different elections the first election we're going to come to next in theory um well it should be anyway is a general election that's going to have voter id that's going to be done under first past the post then we're going to hit a senate election that's going to be an entirely different franchise with um no voter id and with a brand new spanking voting system and brand new uh, constituency. So there is a massive communication challenge for Welsh Government in um, grappling with this. I won't even get on to the local elections and potentially different voting systems because uh, that that might be a much longer podcast. Um, but I do kind of have heart with the steps Welsh Government are already taking around voter engagement this time around. There's still a long way to go on political education in particular. But we have seen some really good coordination from Welsh Government. We've seen them hiring electoral engagement officers in every uh, local authority. I think those contracts should be extended, by the way. They need to be a full-time position, not just for elections. This is a long-term conversation. It doesn't just start six weeks before an election. Um, and they've invested in things like voter pilots. So we're very much at the start of a journey with them kind of working out what they can do to engage voters and hopefully the third sector stepping in to help. But... I'm hopeful that there will be better stuff in place to engage and educate and to start that conversation with voters ahead of 2026. So you, you, you again, you alluded to it a little bit there, but we could very well be in a situation where the four UK parliaments all have different voting systems. We probably will be. Do you think this will be an issue in terms of, well, practicality, but also in terms of political education. And can you see that the, the different countries developing their own sort of distinct political cultures as a consequence? It definitely makes a stronger case for better political education and better um, engagement and communication activities around elections. That is, that's just, that's just a fact. It really does. If you've got different systems, if you've got, especially in Wales, where you've got a kind of paucity of media, or people just not watching Welsh media and, and having it reflect back to them, you've almost got a case to compensate, right? You've got a Welsh government who, an electoral commission, who are going to have to compensate for that reality. And they're going to have to step up their game and do way better than any electoral commission in, in England and any um, UK parliament in England for when it comes to a general election. This has got to be like gold standards. Uh, political education and voter engagement. The second question you asked me, what was that, Matt? Sorry. Political cultures. There we yeah. go. It's funny because culture obviously doesn't just come from the way a democracy works, but it is a part of that. Uh, and I think we have seen different political cultures when it comes to, I think, the pandemic in a way. We've seen in Scotland and Wales, kind of higher levels of trust in our politicians. And partly that is a reflection of the individual political characters and the leadership in, in those nations. But it's also, I think, the fact that 
parliaments work very differently. We have much more working between parties. There's been, um, I think, a better discourse around the decisions made in the pandemic. You know, I was in the Senate in the debate the other day and there were people watching behind me who were saying, oh, it's very different to Westminster, isn't it? It just is. Like, we have a very different discourse. The way the Senate is set up is very different. Um, and I do think that our politicians take a different approach and that, that somewhere down the line will, will reflect on our political culture. So before this happens, obviously there'll be a bill um, at some point, but these proposals do need to be backed by the Labour Party at a, at a special conference as well. And, and whilst these changes do feel very beneficial to the Labour Party, there doesn't seem to be a huge amount of MSs or, or party members willing to go out and back for them. Um, I mean, it feels inevitable that these changes will be passed by the special conference. But do you think there's any chance they could be rejected by the party in the summer? And, and what would happen if that were to be the case? I hope not. I really, I don't have my mystic ball. Like, what is it? Crystal ball? Mystic ball? I'm not mystic mag. Crystal ball. There we go. Don't have my crystal ball with me today. Um, but I do take a lot of heart from the Welsh Labour Conference back in, oh God, was that March? Um, yeah. Back in March, we saw a very different party when it comes to this issue than we've ever seen before. You know, a debate was held on um, approving a motion for the First Minister to essentially start negotiations with Plaid Cymru. I very much went into that conference hall, you know, with ready to kind of flee if I had to. And yet it was like nothing we've ever seen before. We had an hour debate, I think, for it. Every single speaker spoke in support of reforming the Senate. It feels like the Labour Party have really kind of got behind the idea of the Senate needing to mature and to be... Um, to be an effective institution you know and it feels to an extent like it's gone beyond their party in in what they're talking about they're talking about a modern democracy they're talking about a stronger parliament for wales um so i would really hope that that um debate which got unanimous backing which i don't think anyone was expecting kind of follows through to this special conference in july and i don't think that there are signs yet that um anything could necessarily derail that. I do think that there are concerns within the party about uh, the closed list system that's been chosen and the constituencies. Um, but, you know, we saw last week in the debate, politicians were talking about compromise. This is no one's kind of perfect package. It is a compromise package. Um, and hopefully the Labour Party will back this package on the understanding that actually as legislation is, is put in place, it might need to evolve, it might need to um, improve, but the principle of a stronger Senate is right and this package will start delivering that. So, I mean, you basically answered my next question, but these to you, these changes are definitely then worth supporting. It is worth, you know, joining another, having another process, not an event moment in, in Welsh devolution and saying this is on the right step, even if it's not the perfect one. Yeah, I don't think, you know, we're never going to get a package we can pick and mix and be like, yeah, I'll take that, I'll take that, but I won't take that. You know, the reality is this is a take it or leave it package. And if we leave it, there is no Senate reform. This is something that we carry on complaining about in terms of the size of the Senate um, for the next 20 years and nothing ever gets done about it because uh, one time there was that option and everyone rejected it. We can't be that picky. Like it has to be that this take it or leave it deal is taken. We can potentially improve it as it progresses, whether that's through legislation or after legislation. Um, but ultimately, it will deliver the thing that we've been asking for a long time, uh, which is a stronger Senate with 96 members. And that in itself is, is worth doing.
So I know the, the, the real question that I'm sure everybody wants to know, and I don't know whether you've done the modeling on it yet or not, but if with this system, perhaps on maybe say using last, last year's election results, what does the Senate actually then look like in terms of numbers? So we have modelled a 1900 seat Senate based on a closed list proportional system under last year's election, but that is obviously a very different um, concept to modelling a 96 seat Senate under these constituencies and also massively comes with a health warning. Any modelling is, is not um, how an election would actually look like. It's not a reflection of how people would actually vote under a different system. You know, we've seen people vote very differently under a closed list system before when it was used for European parliamentary elections in Wales. I think Labour um, might look away now at uh, <laughs> the results of those. Um, so we did model 1900s. I think they were good for Labour. It showed it showed kind of a similar representation of the parties that we have now in terms of Labour being the largest, the Conservatives, then Plaid Cymru and Lib Dems picking up a couple of seats. So I wouldn't expect necessarily massive changes off the back of it, but um, that'll probably get quoted back at me in four, in four and a half, five years when I'm completely wrong, because it's an election going to be run under completely different constituencies with a completely different system and voters of 2026 might have very different views to voters of 2021. It's too, it's too, too cool a game for anybody to ever quote back bad predictions at people, because if that was the case, I'd, I'd have so many thrown back you in my face. Should, you should get some kind of like a health warning um, <laughs> siren to be used when yeah. any, anyone ever does any, any predictions on this podcast. Prediction warning, prediction warning. Oh God, we'll get that. We'll get Rich to, to in, in, install a button. Jess, thanks so much for coming to talk to us. To finish off, what else are ERS Cymru doing this, this Senate term in the next year? Have you got any other big plans? Oh, we've got very big plans indeed. Um, I hope there's some uh, councillors that listen to uh, the Arrive podcast. If so, um, we'll hopefully be in touch shortly to talk to you about um, all things local democracy, including changing the voting system in your area. Um, that's going to be our focus as well as Senate reform over the next few years. But of course, we're always working on things around diversity. You know, the gender quotas are a good start, but that, that's not going to necessarily um, represent groups from other protected characteristics who are missing from the Senate, particularly around race and ethnicity. Um, so we're working with our colleagues at the Women's Equality Network Wales on the diverse 50-50 campaign. Um, we're also doing loads of stuff around engagement for the election um, with our Democracy Group Cymru. But yeah, if anyone wants to find out more, it's all on our website. Great. And if people want to hear more from you on Twitter, where can they go? I am at JessBlair7, I think. And ERS? Uh, at ERS Camry. Great. Thank you so much, Jess. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard this evening, please don't forget to find Hirife on Twitter and Facebook at HirifePod or on our brand new website, www.walespolitics.com. Thank you for listening to Hirife. If you like what you heard, please don't forget to subscribe, rate and review.